four Sundays in January, we have been uh, looking at the series, The Road to Salvation. And over the course of these four Sunday mornings, we have uh, seen how we must know Christ crucified. We have understood from God's Word that words are not enough. And last week, we considered that verse in Romans that tells us that Christ is the only way. And we now, in many senses, come in this last message of this series to the challenge that we must do something, that something must happen to us. The time comes for a decision to be made. So let's read together John chapter 3, verses 1 through to 8. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Amen. I don't know how many of you here are, are into literature, but the Russian author Dostoevsky once wrote, taking a new step, uttering a new word, is what people fear most. In other words, change is difficult. Change is uncomfortable, and it therefore frightens us. It scares us to even think about changing about making an alteration to our lives or our lifestyles. But often we see that change is necessary. Those of us who are drivers understand that there comes a point in time where a worn-out tire must be replaced for a new one. Those of us who are parents understand that they filter on the machine that makes a baby's bottle because apparently now you can get machines that make up the baby's bottle rather than using the old-fashioned kettle, but the filter on that must be changed every so often just to make sure that it's sterile. A man and a woman will live together once they are married rather than continuing to live apart. But let me ask you this, what do you feel about change? How do you feel about the prospect of Jesus Christ changing your life? We come to this passage in John's Gospel, and it's a passage where Jesus is speaking to a man who, I would say, didn't like change. Nicodemus is a Pharisee, and the Pharisees liked to keep the law. They didn't want to change the law, but they wanted just to show people that they could keep it, and there it was, a constant in their lives. And here Jesus is saying to this man who doesn't like change, you have to change, or to put it more accurately, Jesus says, you have to be changed. 
And Jesus isn't saying to this man that we change for change's sake. But we change because it is a matter of eternal life or eternal death. In other words, there is a very real and a very great danger that if we bury our heads in the sand and we, we do not encounter what Jesus is saying here, then we will be lost for all eternity. Because what Jesus tells Nicodemus and what the title of this message is, you must be born again. And we see three elements of this great truth of the Bible that tells us that we must be born again. Firstly, in verses 1 to 3, we see the approach. Jesus is visited by this Pharisee who, uh, of all people, a Pharisee, and he's called Nicodemus. Now, the Pharisees were a group of men. They, they loved the rules. They weren't people who liked to break the rules, but they loved to keep them, and they loved to see other people breaking the rules because they could point the finger at those people that broke the rules and say how terrible they were for not being able to keep all of these rules. These were men who delighted to show everyone else that they alone could keep the rules. And Nicodemus approaches Jesus. He comes to Jesus. See the person. We might be surprised uh, at who it is that comes to Jesus. We might be surprised it is a Pharisee because the Pharisees hated Jesus. And we know the end of the gospel account because the Pharisees are there and they're instrumental in Jesus being taken, arrested, tried, and put upon the cross. But this Pharisee is not nameless. He has a name. He's identified. Very few Pharisees are identified in Scripture. They are generally just a group of men. But here we have somebody who is an individual and whose name is given to us, uh, Nicodemus. He's described as a ruler of the Jews, a man who holds great status. He holds great authority. People would have seen him and they would have known him and they would have understood that in relation to their status in society, he was above them. That's who comes. That's who questions Jesus. And it is to Nicodemus that Jesus responds. He's a person. He's an individual. You know, often we put a barrier up in our lives about coming to Jesus. We see that Jesus is, is for other people. Quite often when I'm speaking to people about the Bible, about God, about Jesus Christ, they will reply and say, well, that's fine for you. Oh, that's fine for the church, or that's fine for the Christians, but for me, I don't need Jesus. I'm doing fine myself. Or you have them saying, well, I don't need Jesus, or I can't have Jesus because I'm too bad, I'm too far gone. We have to understand this one important thing, that it is you, it is me, who comes to Jesus, not leaving it for others the person. But there's the observation. And verse 2 says that this man, Nicodemus, came to Jesus by night. Why did he come at night? Well, we're not told. Some people have said, well, Nicodemus was scared. I don't think that was true because Nicodemus, being a Pharisee, was not a man prone to fear. He would stand out against the crowd. He would do things according to the law. He wasn't scared of people. Perhaps it was Jesus who was busy during the day, or even Nicodemus who was busy during the day. We're not told, but the important thing is that Nicodemus comes to Jesus. He had questions, he had doubts, he had uncertainties, and he wants them answered. And so he comes to Jesus, and he calls Jesus this rather important title. He calls him rabbi. He calls him teacher. He's putting Jesus above himself. 
and he submits to Jesus. Now, Nicodemus here has got the hard part right because he, he sees that Jesus has come from God. The other Pharisees, if you read through the Gospels, they doubted that Jesus came from God. In fact, some of the Pharisees even said to Jesus that he was a devil or a demon himself because of the miracles that he could do. But as Nicodemus sees the miracles, the signs, in John's Gospel, when you see the word sign, it really means miracle. Nicodemus had seen what Jesus had done. And he knows in his own heart that this man, Jesus, has come from God. He's no ordinary man. And so Nicodemus observes something crucial about the person of Jesus Christ. Now, it could be that you're here today and you're not fully sure as to who Jesus is yet. But the crucial thing is that you come. That you come to Jesus, that you come with an open heart, with an open mind, and that you want to develop that correct understanding of who Jesus is because Christ Jesus can do amazing things. He can do them in my life. And if He can do them in my life, let me tell you, He can do them in yours. And in, the, in this approach, we see that there is understanding that Jesus gives to Nicodemus because He answers in verse 3. It's only Jesus who could answer these things in Nicodemus' heart. And what Jesus says is always true. Jesus doesn't hand out fake news. Jesus is not in the business of putting out propaganda. Jesus is not interested in giving misinformation. What Jesus says is always true. He says, truly, truly I say to you. And what Jesus has to say is of a vital nature because he said, unless one is born again. In other words, all the other ways that you could try won't work. Unless you're born again, you won't see the kingdom of God. And Jesus tells Nicodemus what must happen within him. He must be born again. He must receive a, a new life from God. And the reason that this must happen is that unless it does happen, he won't go to heaven. That little phrase, kingdom of God, simply means heaven. Unless you're born again, Nicodemus, you won't go to heaven. And it's fair to say about us that unless we understand what Christ is teaching, unless we trust in Him, unless we accept Him, then we are highly unlikely to ever come to Him. We have to get the message. We have to know what it says. We have to understand what Jesus is telling us that we must do. And that message is plain, even if it is hard to accept. Unless we receive this new life from Jesus Christ, we will not go to heaven. And so let me ask you, do you have this new life? Are you born again? We have to approach Christ, but we have to do so properly. We have to accept what He tells us. We have to respond to what He commands us. Because as we go into verses 4 to 6, we do not just see that there is approach, there is an approach, but there is an assertion. Jesus puts forward what is true. He puts forward what he bases all these things on. Nicodemus, he continues his conversation with Jesus. Nicodemus has things in his heart that he is struggling to grasp. What Jesus has already said is confusing him. It is difficult for him. And he asks this question in verse 4. He says, how can a man be born when he is old? 
Now, Nicodemus here, he's not giving up because it's hard. It's one of the things that we can be prone to do in our lives is when things get hard, we give up. One of the great banes in Lorna's life is that I'm useless at DIY. Can't do it. Shouldn't do it. Because I don't have the patience. The problem is whenever you go to do a job in the house, it doesn't matter how simple you're told that it might be, it's always more difficult. And when the difficulty is there, I give up. Don't let that be the case for us this morning when it comes to the things of God. That when they get difficult, we give up. Nicodemus doesn't do that. He, he asks. He, he, he says, what do you mean, Jesus? Because to be born again, it goes against all of biology, all of nature, all of science. Nicodemus is a Pharisee, a religious man, but he understands the way that the world works. And yet, I don't think that Nicodemus for a moment thought that Jesus literally meant that a man must be physically born again. I think that Nicodemus realized that what Jesus was saying to him, you have to start again. You have to be born again. And Nicodemus is saying to Jesus, well, do you really mean that I have to try harder? Do you really mean that I have to wipe the slate clean? Do you really want me to start over? Because Nicodemus knows the difficulty of that. He knows his own heart. He knows that for him to change under his own strength and his own steam is impossible. And Nicodemus, I believe here, is perplexed at the prospect of there being a spiritual rebirth, a renewing of his life. How can that happen, Jesus? How can I be renewed? What will take place? You know, there's much about the gospel that can confuse us. Why does God's Word call me a sinner? Why does the Bible tell us that Jesus Christ has to die for sin? And we might not understand these things. But here we have the example of Nicodemus. We ask. We ask God. We read. We, we try to get to grips with it. We are not to give up. Because what Jesus Christ then goes on and, and he answers Nicodemus' question. He doesn't fob off Nicodemus. He doesn't say, well, that's too hard a question to answer. Or he doesn't say to Nicodemus, well, the question that you're really asking is this and then give an answer to something completely different. No, he, he addresses the question that Nicodemus asks. And he gives this strongly worded condition once again. Unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. He cannot come into heaven. What does it mean to be born of water and spirit? Now, let me tell you, you could go to five different commentaries, and each of the commentaries will give you a different opinion as to what water and spirit means. But one thing is true that Jesus gives this analogy, or he gives this description that Nicodemus will automatically understand. Is Jesus uh, talking about water and spirit being one thing and another thing? Is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and the water, the physical birth? It's, it's unlikely. Because every single person is born. Every single person that hears the gospel is born. And so to put a condition that they must be alive and in this world seems a bit 
uh, over and above what is necessary. Is it speaking the water, speaking about baptism? John the Baptist's baptism or even Christian baptism? Well, it can't be Christian baptism because that hadn't been around at that time. And if it is baptism at all, we have to ask the question, well, uh, do we really need to be baptized to get to heaven? And we go to that scene on that hillside out Jerusalem where Jesus was on the middle cross and there was one thief on one side and another thief on the other. And there was the thief who said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to the thief, today you will be with me in paradise. That thief wasn't baptized. So baptism is not a requirement for coming into heaven. It has to be something that Nicodemus understood. And what Jesus is saying, that this water and spirit is that there must be spiritual renewal. In the Old Testament, time and again, we see how things were washed clean and how the Holy Spirit worked to make them clean as well. And what Nicodemus is being told here is that this renewal, this new birth, comes from God's Spirit. And that's what must take place in us. We must be spiritually renewed. We can't do it ourselves. But God has to change us. He has to transform us. And what Jesus then goes on to do in verse 6 is reinforce what he said. He said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Put simply, a human being can only create a human being. Or if a human being tries to do something, it will still end up being human. A human cannot look at himself and change his nature and make him into a new creation. This term flesh speaks about the human nature here. And what Jesus is teaching here is that all of Nicodemus' efforts will result in one thing only, and that is no change. Because when it comes to us standing before God, we can do nothing to change ourselves. You know, we cannot come to God and convince Him that we are good people. We cannot come to God and uh, through argument tell Him that we deserve eternal life because we are human. And as Scripture tells us, our hearts are sinful. No, it requires the work of the Holy Spirit. It is only God's Holy Spirit who can give this new life. It is the Holy Spirit who causes a person to be born again. New birth comes only and entirely from the work of God's Holy Spirit. How does God make you new? How does God give you new birth? Well, He does it Himself. We don't do certain things and God meets us halfway. God does it all. And we have to come to Jesus Christ that we might be born again. Our efforts to save ourselves, to change ourselves, will always amount to nothing. But it's not the case that when we come to Jesus Christ, because when we come to Jesus Christ, He will give us new birth. And that brings us to the last two verses of our passage. And these two verses tell us what must be done what we must do and what God will do. And we see in verses 7 and 8 the activity. We've had the approach, we've had the assertion, and now we come to the activity. 
And if we understand the first part, the approach, if we understand the second part, the assertion, and stop there, then we will be stopped and we will not experience this new birth. Jesus hasn't said anything here that goes against the Old Testament. Jesus wasn't, in many respects, bringing a new teaching to Nicodemus. He was fleshing out or expanding or explaining more fully what the Old Testament was demonstrating. But yet, what Nicodemus is hearing is going against all that he understands. It goes against all that he has been taught. And that left him in real turmoil. How can this happen to me? Verse 7 tells us what must be done. And Jesus says, do not be amazed. I'm not giving you something new. I'm not turning the whole thing on its head and asking you to do something different from what God's Word is telling you to do. Oh yes, Nicodemus would rightly have marveled at God's saving work. But it's something that he should have known all along. Nicodemus has deferred to Jesus as rabbi, and so he must do what Jesus tells him to do. He's almost duty-bound to accept and trust this message. And Jesus says once again, he said, you must be born again. Now, this word must here is the strongest command that can be given. It's the same word as is used in John chapter 12, verse 34, when Jesus says that he had to go to the cross. He said, the Son of Man must be lifted up. There's no alternative. There's nothing else that can be done. There's nothing else that will work. You must be born again. And Jesus makes it clear to Nicodemus that the new birth is essential. It's not an optional extra. It's not something that can be tacked onto his life to make him look good. It is the fundamental, it is the central, it is the most important thing that can be done, for without it, he would be lost for all eternity. And we as a church cannot stress this strongly enough, that no matter what you might think about the gospel, no matter how difficult you think it is, no matter how unbelievable you might even think it is, it is the gospel that is the only way to Jesus Christ. It is the gospel that is the only way to God's salvation. It is the gospel that is the only way to eternal life in heaven. So maybe this morning you think it's too hard. Now that gospel, that trusting in Jesus, it's, it's just too hard for me. Well, I can assure you, you will find it harder to try and please God yourself. Or perhaps you're saying to yourself, and you're scratching your, your head, and you're saying, well, this is all too easy. I, I just have to trust in Jesus Christ. Well, stop for a moment and remember that Jesus Christ died on the cross. That the Son of God, the one who is immortal, would give his life. Charles Wesley, the great hymn writer, put it this way in his wonderful hymn, And Can It Be? He says, "'Tis mystery all, the immortal dies. One who cannot die gives his life on the cross." That was not easy. The most wonderful thing that has ever taken place in the history of this world, the most wonderful thing that has ever taken place, even in eternity, is Jesus Christ became a man and he died on the cross for the sin of the world. 
Well, it's not easy. We marvel at what God has done, but we must be so careful that we do not let it pass us by. That is what must be done. How is it done? Verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it. Jesus uses this picture once again from nature. It's amazing how often Jesus turns to nature to illustrate what he's talking about. Why does he turn to nature? Well, as human beings, we observe nature, and we can see it, and we can grasp it, and we can see that picture in our head. And Jesus basically says here, look at the wind. And you can probably see Nicodemus going, well, I can't see the wind. Jesus says, well, that's right. You hear the sound of it. You don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it's going, but you see the leaves that are whipped up by the wind. You see the waves that are whipped up by the wind. And Jesus says, that issue, that matter of the wind is just exactly how God works. His Holy Spirit is the same. The Holy Spirit goes where He pleases. The Holy Spirit goes where He is going in accordance with God's will. We can't predict it. We can't alter it. We cannot stop it. But the Holy Spirit comes and He works. And the Holy Spirit comes and brings this new birth. We've had it made very clear over these four studies in January that we do not save ourselves. And we've seen with equal clarity it is God who saves us. We can't predict it. We cannot change its course. We cannot stop it. What God wills shall be done. But let me ask you this morning, is God calling you to salvation? In your heart, you know. In your heart, you will hear that call. But will you respond to it because we must be born again. We see from Nicodemus' encounter with Jesus Christ that new birth is something that is fundamental to our salvation. It is crucial for every one of us to be born again. This is how God works to save. And we are faced with that question. Are we born again? Are we born of God's Spirit? Have we come to Jesus Christ? Have we approached Him Have we listened to his assertion? Have we listened to his explanation, his command? And have we been active in looking for God to give us new birth? Well, we know from this series that Christ was crucified. He died for your sin. He took your place on the cross. We know that words are not enough. Being saved being forgiven by God is much, much more than just what we say in our lips. It is what has changed in our hearts. In that verse, Romans 10, verse 9, last week that we looked at, that we have to confess Christ as Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised Him from the dead. Is that what we have done? Because unless we know that Christ is God's sacrifice on the cross. Unless we know that we must experience more than words, unless we know that Christ is the only way, we will never be born again. And so there it is. We have to come to Christ and be saved. 
there are many people in this room who can testify to God's saving work in their hearts. Can you testify that in your life? Are you born again? Are you a new creation through the work of God's Holy Spirit? Because unless you are, we will not see the kingdom of heaven. You must be born again. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you for these words that we have considered together this morning, that story of how a man, a lawyer, a legalist, came to Jesus Christ because he realized that he needed something, something that was different from all that had gone before. And we ask this morning that you would remind us, that you would tell us to come and be born again. Well, Father, we thank you that your power is so great that there is nothing above it or beyond it. You can change us. You will change us. You will give us this new life all through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we pray this morning that the Spirit will move in this place. We pray this morning that the Spirit will move in our hearts and that we will know this great truth of being born again, of being born into the family of God as we would place our trust in Jesus Christ and Him crucified. We do pray this in His precious, most holy, most lovely name, that name of Jesus. Amen.